Welcome to worship at Faith Christian Reformed Church of Elmhurst for this week. The Lord calls us to worship through the words of the prophet Isaiah this week. Let us worship God who has done great things. We rejoice in our God who made a way through the desert of this world. Let us worship God who has caused streams of mercy to flow in the wasteland. We are the people God has formed through Christ. We worship him and we rejoice. Before we begin worship this evening, a couple announcements. Uh, First, in the bulletin this week, and the bulletin is available on our church website as well as through our email list if you're on that list. But in the bulletin this week, there's a significant note about our church's reopening plan and process, some things about who's on the team, what, uh, what data we're working with, a little bit about where we're trying to head as we work toward reopening. We also, uh, depending on when you're watching this, we have a service or two outside coming up. On Sundays, August 2 and August 9, at 9.30 in the morning, we'll gather outside on the church lawn. We'll have a brief service, probably just half an hour or so. We'll have some singing, some Bible reading, some prayer, a brief message, and then after the service, we'll have a time of outside fellowship. So if you're comfortable these days gathering outside, we will be socially distancing and all of those things. But if you're comfortable gathering, please do come to worship and fellowship. If you're not comfortable, please feel free to stay at home. We'll have our usual recorded service as well as our second sermon to help you worship from home in these days. Um, Also, over the next couple months, while the weather is good, we're putting together some groups that we're calling Fair Weather Friends. While the weather is fair, we want to provide ways for us to fellowship with each other. We're so limited in our social contact and so isolated these days. So we want to provide opportunities for people to gather in small groups outside in safe settings where people should be able to be pretty comfortable um, and just see each other, share some conversation. So check out the bulletin for a bit more information on that. Uh, Get hold of Herman Vandernald or me or the church office if you'd like to be involved in one of those groups. And now let's begin worship with a greeting from our great God. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. And in response to God's greeting, let's stand and praise our mighty warrior, our great king.
This week, as we often do, we'll be reading some scripture that shows us God's will for our lives. We'll be reading a setting of the Ten Commandments this week, and interspersed between the commandments, there'll be a number of New Testament texts. These these texts, in some different ways, show us how Christ has fulfilled the law, how Christ calls us to live Christ-like lives that fit with God's will, and also texts that just show us how great, glorious, good, and loving our God is. So on the uh, slides, this will be a responsive reading. I'll read the whole thing, but you're invited here in the sanctuary and at home to read along with the parts that are labeled people, if you so desire. Let's call each other now to hear and to obey God's will for our lives. You shall have no other gods before me, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. You shall not make for yourself an idol. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. You shall not murder. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You shall not commit adultery. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You shall not steal. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands, so that he may have something to share with those in need. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And we'll continue in worship now by together singing the song, Ten Thousand Reasons. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. 
And let's continue in worship by going to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, life in this world is so hard, and we so desperately need your help. We'd love to stop doing what's wrong. We love our world to stop being wrong, and yet we can't get there. Father, this planet is so full of evil. Governments do so much wrong. Countries get all twisted up doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Systems chew people up and spit them back out. Relationships among community and friends and family go sideways. People people are constantly running into each other's rough edges. Life in this world is so hard. We don't know how to fix all of that, but we pray that in your providence, that you do work all things together for good. We pray that you work powerfully and evidently to bring this world more in line with your will and your ways. Even as we look at this world and shake our heads, Father, we trust you. And we know that you are the true giver of hope for this world. And Father, we are grateful for all the gifts that you give. Everything that we have, even our very lives, are gifts from you, and we are grateful for them. And at the same time, we bring before you all the ways that things in our lives go wrong. We pray especially for those who are sick these days. We, we pray for Dirk Bergsma as he deals with, with heart issues and with other health challenges. We ask that you give Dirk and Doris your perfect peace. Bless Brad Eidson with continued recovery from his recent heart attack, and and we pray that you enable him to to continue to do ministry at the camp he works at in area schools and, and whatever other opportunities might open up for him to spread and share the gospel. Grant David Egan successful knee surgery or or surgeries if those prove necessary. We ask that you work so that he has a remarkably quick and remarkably smooth recovery. And as he recovers, we pray, too, that you help him to find good ways to to fill the time. Father, we ask that you give these children of yours and, and all of us who are struggling, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually, or or in whatever way we are carrying burdens, we pray that you give us your strength so that we can carry on. Father, we so often wish things were different in this world, but nonetheless, we trust you. And because we trust you, we ask that you help us to see how you were at work. Help us to grow deeper in our faith. Help us to hold on to you more tightly. Give us the grace that we need to live for you, to work for you, and to follow you always. We pray all this in your name. Amen. As we usually have been, I'm going to give just a brief offering update for this service. We have some details of our giving through June in the bulletin, and basically the money that we took in, the gifts, the offerings that we received from you, slightly more than covered our expenses for that month. So we want to say thank you for that, and then we also received generous gifts to a number of other causes that we support as a church. So we continue to say thank you for how you're allowing the Lord to work in and through you to support the church and other good causes. Looking to the week ahead, the Deacon's Golf Outing is this Saturday, August 8th. So if you're into golfing, uh, please register for that and enjoy a good time outside as well as an opportunity to support our Deacon's work in supporting Christian education for our children. 
As always, we continue to be very grateful to the Lord and to all of you who are generously supporting us in these challenging times. Now, as we prepare to hear God's word, we're going to have a a brief musical interlude. And I'd ask that you use this time to prepare your heart and prepare your mind to truly listen to and receive God's word. Let's continue to prepare our hearts by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we we ask that you open our hearts and open our minds. Help us to understand your word. And Father, we pray that you plant your word deep in the center of our being so that it grows in us and so that we are transformed through it and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. We're continuing our Ecclesiastes series this week. Last week we talked about Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and we reflected on themes of oppression, a really relevant but also difficult topic in these days. And and this week we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and this week we're focusing on adversity, on trouble in our lives, another difficult but I think timely topic for us in this season. So let's begin by listening to God's word from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Exhortion turns a a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. 
Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. I'm going to talk through this text today, beginning with a struggle, and then talking about two strategies for dealing with that struggle, and finally focusing on a place for us to stand. And the struggle we're going to open with is that we all face adversity. In this life, we all face really hard times. We have, well, for most of us in 2020, we sometimes have rocky years. And before I dig into that a little bit more, before I talk about some of the adversity that we face, I'm going to ask a question in a moment, and I'm going to give you some time to personally reflect on how you would answer that question at this point. For those of us in the sanctuary, we're actually going to take a minute. We're going to have some music so it's not an awkward silence. For those of you listening or watching this at home or wherever you're watching it, you could even pause the recording and take a moment yourself or take a moment with those who are with you and talk about this. And the question I'm going to invite you to reflect on is, what's troubling you these days? What's troubling you these days? What's, what's getting you really angry? What's frustrating you? What are you afraid of? What's, what's causing you to lose sleep at night? And as you do that, I want you to go a little bit deeper than just thinking, well, I can't always find my favorite food at the grocery store or something, but, but try to dig down a little bit into the roots of, of what might be really getting to you, really causing you some trouble today. So we'll have that question up on the screen. We'll have a moment or two of music and just reflect on what is troubling in your life in the world these days.
So we've all come up with some things that might be troubling us personally. I, I want to offer some, some bigger themes that I've heard as I've talked with people from church and, and as I've just watched the news and, and reflected the last while. Some of us are really, really concerned about the place of Christian faith in our lives and in our, in our society these days. We hear things that, that lots of, apparently lots of church members have, have stopped watching church services or engaging with, with church. The number of most churches' live stream or video views is, is going down. And as we look toward the year ahead and all the uncertainty and what's going to be or not be, it's, it's easy to be really concerned about how we're going to work this year at forming the faith of our children and helping them grow up in the Lord. And how this year are we going to gather and worship and have fellowship and, and do all the things that we do as a church? How are we going to live out our faith in this context? These are troubling questions. And then there are some of us, especially those of us who, who maybe tend to worry or who have underlying health conditions, who are really, really concerned about the virus, the COVID-19 virus, the pandemic. And, and we're scared that we or our family members might get sick and might even pass away because of this. And and we wonder if, if the precautions that people are taking are enough. And, and these are troubling questions. And there are some of us who are really worried about, about whether we've, we've lost some of our freedoms, about whether our lives have become too limited, about whether the government is stepping into things where it really shouldn't be. And these can be troubling questions. And some of us are really worried about the situation of those who are poor and vulnerable, they're always in trouble, and, and the poor, those in desperate situations, always, always feel the brunt of hard times. And, and so how, how are we as a society taking care of them, and what can we do? And these are troubling questions. And many of us, more than we would care to admit, many of us are, are really struggling with depression and with, with isolation and all of our usual coping mechanisms and support structures have just disappeared. And we don't know how to get up each day and how we can keep on living like this. And these are troubling questions. Now, I, I listed all those concerns out separately, but... But many of us are actually troubled by all of them. We're in a hard season. And Ecclesiastes 7 begins by inviting us to own that struggle. The first three verses, if you just picked up the Bible, flipped open to this page and read them, would probably kind of throw you. They say some strange things. The, the day of death is better than the day of birth? It's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting? Sorrow is better than laughter? Now, the text doesn't end there, but it begins by saying those strange and difficult things to shake us up. The text wants us to get to grips with the reality that, that we all face adversity, that we all struggle. So Ecclesiastes puts that in front of us, and then it gives us two strategies to, to deal with that struggle, to deal with the reality that, that we do and we always will face adversity in this life. And and it shows us one strategy that it doesn't want us to take, and then it shows us another strategy that it does want us to take. So we'll begin with the wrong strategy. And the wrong strategy is to find an escape. To find an escape. 
Thomas Lynch is an undertaker and an author. By day, he does funerals. In his spare time for his, uh, his side gig, he writes poems and writes books and such like. Well, a few years ago, he wrote, it's sort of an autobiography, but he collected a number of stories about his family and about his work as a funeral director. And in one part of that, Thomas Lynch, he shares a story about a time in his life when the funeral business was really, really dragging on him. It just was hard to show up to work and to have to process the bodies and, and direct the funerals and help the grieving and do all of that day after day after day. And then for reasons that Lynch doesn't really get into in the book, his, his wife just leaves him one day in the midst of this and leaves him with their young children to raise all by himself. So he develops this routine that during the day he goes and he, he does the funeral thing, he does his job and, and deals with everything that that entails. And then in the afternoon, he goes home, he, he gets his kids home, he feeds them a snack, he does their homework, he spends some time, he does their homework. He helps them with their homework, hopefully. He gets them dinner, he spends a little bit of quality time with them, and then he gets them tucked into bed, and, and then he goes back downstairs, and he goes to the living room, and, and he stands by his favorite armchair, and, and he lines up bottle after bottle after bottle of alcohol on a little table by his armchair. And then he sits down. And he opens the first bottle, and he drinks, and he drinks, and he drinks until he gets to the bottom. And he puts it down, and he picks up the next bottle. And he opens the next bottle, and he drinks, and he drinks, and he drinks until he gets to the bottom. And he puts it down, and he picks up the next bottle, and he picks up the next bottle, and he picks up the next bottle. And every night, he keeps drinking until he passes out, and that's his life. Now that's that's a little bit of a it's a little bit of an extreme form of escapism. But when we realize that life is too much to bear, the strategy that we often de- the strategy that we often adopt is to try to find an escape. Some of us, like Lynch, we look to alcohol. Some of us look to shopping. Some of us just stare endlessly at screens. Some of us some of us go outside and go for a run. Some of us well you can. You can decide for yourself what it is you do when you feel the need to escape. But Ecclesiastes tells us that while those might be good things, as as strategies to deal with reality, they are empty and hopeless. The heart of fools is in the house of pleasure, says the text, but, but pleasure will not take the pain of life away. The song of fools doesn't get you anywhere. The, the laughter of the party, says Ecclesiastes, is just like the crackling of thorns on fire under a pot. They don't really give you much of anything productive, and, and it doesn't last long, and it's all pointless anyway. And then the text goes on and talks about how bribery and corruption and acquiring wealth still leaves you empty. And pride and anger can at least get you out of feeling like life is so empty, but, but really all they do is eat you up inside. And nostalgia for the past or dreaming for the future, well, it's great for a little while, but then you still land right back here on planet Earth. When life hurts, we want to escape. When life is hard, we all start looking for the exit route. If you think back to to that time we spent earlier in this sermon reflecting on what's troubling you, my guess would be for most of us, if you bring that back to mind you could also think of some ways that you've dealt with that trouble by trying to escape it. You might be able to think of, 
of how you're, you're denying it or you're, you're trying to cover over it or you're, or you're trying, to, trying to laugh it away. Or maybe you're, you're adopting a strategy of if only. You know, if only I could do this next thing. If only this was under my control. Well, then, then I'd be okay. You're, well, in short, you're, you're dreaming that if only more was under your control, then, then maybe finally you'd be able to escape the mess that life is in. Well, Ecclesiastes wants wants to shut down our escape avenues. Ecclesiastes wants to tell us that that all those things that we look to on this earth, well, they don't get us where they want to get us. They aren't really exits. All they do is dull the pain for a little while, and then when we wake up the next morning, well, well, Lynch for sure would have a hangover, and, and his troubles would all still be there. And in one way or another, whenever we choose the strategy of trying to escape reality, we end up falling back down to earth in unpleasant ways. So Ecclesiastes says, don't don't adopt that strategy. But then it gives us a better strategy, a good strategy. And what it says is get wisdom. Get wisdom. And we could talk about a lot of dynamics here, but I just want to mention a couple. The first one is that we acknowledge that reality is hard. Denying that reality is hard is a dead-end street. It doesn't get us anywhere. But then past that, and here's where I want to focus. Getting wisdom means that we seek to grow through adversity. Instead of running away from adversity, instead of giving up, we look at adversity and we seek to grow through it. This chapter gives us some particular strategies to find wisdom. Don't don't be angry, be patient and peaceable. Don't be proud, don't be dreamy, but be content. And these are all good particular practices. And then verses 11 and 12 step back and tell us that, that wisdom is a shelter. That wisdom really is something that can, that can insulate us from some of the troubles of life. Wisdom is this curious thing, this strange quantity that when we have it, it helps us navigate the storms of life better. But one of the curious things about wisdom is that that in order to have it, in order to have this thing that enables us to navigate the storms of life better, often we need to go through a lot of storms in life. To gain wisdom, we need to experience adversity. And we've... We've had some adversity here at Faith over the years. I'm not going to name names in part because the list is too long and in part because I don't want to jolt anybody, but, but it feels like we as a congregation have had a lot of families who had to bury children too young. And it feels like we've had a lot of members who were middle-aged and apparently healthy and all of a sudden one day they were just gone. Here one day and gone the next And it seems like we've had a lot of people who've also had chronic issues and and pain that doesn't go away and struggles that just never seem to end. And, and you know, I could go on and on and on and talk talk about all the storms that we've navigated as a church. And in this pandemic season, as we look at different transitions for our church, as we face so much uncertainty, well, we're in another storm. We are, and and in some ways we know how to deal with these storms because we've been there before, but yet, but yet we are in a time of adversity. 
and we have been in so many times of adversity. And we as individuals and we as a church could look at the past and the present and the future and maybe we'd have good reason to choose the escapist route, to close our eyes to reality, to pretend that everything is okay. But if, if we want to really follow where the Lord is leading, and if we want to really be healthy and wise people, and if we want as a church to really grow in the Lord, then we need to embrace adversity as a path to getting wisdom. And in, in these hard days, I want to suggest three practices for us to develop greater wisdom. Three, three spiritual disciplines or three qualities that we should aim for to help us grow in wisdom and grow in the Lord. And I'm actually borrowing these categories from an article I read recently called Church, Don't Let the Coronavirus Divide You. Seems like a timely article for these days. And in next Tuesday's Faithful Reflections email, I'm going to include a link to that article so you can read it in full if you want to. But in this article, the, uh, the author proposes three countercultural practices to help us navigate these days as believers in the wisdom of the Lord. And the first practice, the first road to wisdom, if you will, is to develop practices of countercultural sacrifice. As a church, we are invited to embrace, not just to endure, but to embrace opportunities to do hard things. We're all concerned about making it through. We're concerned about whether we'll be able to get enough of whatever we need. But, but how can we as a church turn that around and see how we can not just get, but how we can give? How we can sacrifice for others and as we sacrifice for others, we find ourselves on the path to wisdom. Along with sacrifice, let's practice countercultural humility. The world is full of all kinds of angry and proud and confident voices these days. It is not hard to find people who are sure that they are right about what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. And it's not hard to find people who disagree with the people who are sure that they're right about all that. We have this, this chaos of voices always yelling at us that they are right and we should do what they say. And, and to be honest with you, some of those voices are our own. But the path to wisdom lies through humility. And so as, as people, as a church, we are invited and we are called, if we want to grow in wisdom, to practice humility. To wonder if we are really quite as right as we think we are to truly, respectfully listen to others, even if we know they are wrong. Humility is part of the path to wisdom. And then third, let's practice countercultural patience. We live in a here and now society. We're the country that invented fast food, and we still want it fast and faster. We want justice, and we want order, and we want it now. We want a COVID vaccine, and we want it now. We want to get back to normal, and we want it now. And all of those things are really good things to want. But the reality of this world is that we do not get what we want now. And the reality is that we aren't good at waiting. But in order to develop wisdom, in order to follow where the Lord leads, we, we need to develop more patience. And you know, in this world where we want everything right now and today, 
we as Christians have unique resources to, to take the longer perspective because we are playing the longest game there is. We are not trying to do this or do that for just today. We are playing for eternity. And so even if things take longer than we want or longer than we expect, we can be patient because, because in the long game of eternity, we don't need everything to be just how we want it today. Patience. Patience with ourselves, patience with other people, and patience with the Lord. Well, patience is part of the path to wisdom. We all want to find a way to just escape our troubles, but, but the real path forward for us in this season, I think, is to embrace, to embrace adversity, to recognize that we do have trouble and we will have trouble, and then to see that trouble as an opportunity to get wisdom. That is the winning strategy, says Ecclesiastes, as hard as that can be. Now, I want to conclude just briefly by giving us a place to stand. If all we had was that strategy to get wisdom, then, then maybe we could get tough and we could push through and we could make it work. But it'd feel pretty toxic. It'd feel like we would end up just, just falling apart. And so we can't just have the right strategy. We also need the right place to stand. And the place that we stand is that God has the future in His hands. Without that reality, verses 13 and 14 could be a bit discouraging. These verses tell us that, that good times and bad times come, and they even tell us that, that both of them are somehow part of God's plan, that He allows the good and the bad, and, and we can't know the future. And we aren't guaranteed trouble-free lives, and we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what next year will look like. We don't know what next month will look like. We don't know what, how our school's going to function this year. What's that going to look like? What will our ministry here, here at Faith look like? We're, we're working on that. We're making plans. But really, do we know? And what will the election in November look like? And what, what is our country going to look like after that? And what's the course of COVID-19 going to look like? And, and we could go on and on. There's all kinds of things that we do not know and cannot know. But even in all of that, Scripture gives us this place to stand. The Lord has our future in His hands. And we can trust that the Lord will take care of us because because when we think about adversity and we look at the Scriptures, we see that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through more adversity and more problems and more trouble than any of us could ever bear. The Lord was basically disowned by his own family. He was betrayed by his closest friends. His own people got him killed. His government executed him unjustly. His suffering and his trouble just, just overflowed. And unlike us, unlike us, Jesus could have chosen the escape strategy and had it work for him. He could have called down 10,000 angels to take him away or, or he, could have, well, he could have decided just to fly off and leave all of us to our doom if he wanted to. Jesus had an open exit route the whole time he was working for us, but he didn't take it. Instead, Jesus embraced adversity on our behalf so that he could save us and so that he would be able to encourage and to walk with us through our own hard times. 
Christ's work gives us a place to stand. And Jesus is not is not the only answer to all of the challenges that face us. We need good medical care. We need good government. We need other people. We need to make good plans. Jesus is not the only answer to to the challenges we face in this world, but Jesus is the only ultimate answer to all the problems that we face in this world. Only Jesus gives us a place to stand from which we are guaranteed to be able to deal with any trouble. So as a church, as, as individual believers, let's get our feet firmly set on Jesus. Let us stand on His work. And even though we don't and we can't know the future, let's follow the Lord in getting wisdom, in practicing sacrifice, humility, patience, and love. Let's pray. Father, when we really get to grips with how broken this world is and how hard each of our lives are, it is, it is terrible. Father, when we really embrace a, an honest look at ourselves and at everything around us, we can be so discouraged. Lord, we pray, though, that you bring us to those moments of, of honesty and, and adversity. And we pray that you do that not, not for the sake of the experience, but for how then you can work in us to rebuild us, to get us built more firmly on Christ as our foundation, to, to be able to set aside all the other things that we think can help us and instead to focus on what we really need. And Father, what we really need is more of you. And so we pray that you work through your word and through your spirit to inspire, to guide, to reform us so that we are able to follow you through all the hard times of this life. Father, make us wise. Make us more like you. Amen. The Lord gives us a firm place to stand as we face the adversity of this life. And to celebrate that, and also to remind ourselves that that's true, let's together sing the song, It Is Well With My Soul. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4.
we have the opportunity now to profess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. And as we say these familiar words this week, see these words or hear these words as a picture of some of the many, many ways that the Lord throughout time and into eternity has taken care of, is taking care of, and will take care of his people. Let's together say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For our closing song this week, we'll be singing God Be With You. And now receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace now and forever. Amen.